He is risen. He is risen. Amen. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, you can do that. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You shall be saved. My job today is explaining to you exactly what Jesus did on those three days, from the time that he was crucified to the time that he rose again, and the powerful work of our God, and how special it is, and how you are Jesus' daily delight. Did you know that? The Bible tells every one of us that we are Jesus' delight every day. He sits on the right hand of the Father, and he expresses his heart and his love regarding you to the Father. It's amazing who he is. But before we get started, I want to say again, happy Easter. Easter is much bigger than we could ever dream of. It's not about the food. It's not about the eggs, even though our children next door will learn about the resurrection through their egg hunt and all the things that they will be enjoying. It's not about your clothes. Matter of fact, uh, Richard, can you stand up, please? I told him today that I wasn't mad at him because he was wearing the same dress I was wearing. (laughs) And for all you listening in the podcast, we're not wearing dresses, we're wearing sport coats. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1 and Isaiah 22. How many of you ever ever lost your keys? Yeah, 100% of us. You know, it's like uh, taxes and death. We lose our keys. How many of you, when looking uh, for your keys, have said this? They'll probably be in the last place I left them. Yeah, right, right. Well, of course they will be. You know, and then when you find them, I'm sure you're not going to keep looking for them because you found them. The reason why I said that is that Jesus never lost his keys. But he gave the keys to the earth to Adam, but Adam lost his keys. See, the Easter story gives us the victory when Jesus arose from the dead, and Jesus at the cross got Adam's keys back. What we're going to learn today, first of all, is that Jesus holds the key of death. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, John John is speaking years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And in Revelations 1, he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold... I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Hades means the abode of the dead. Before Christ, every person that died went to what we will call a waiting place today. In in Hebrew, the word Sheol, or in Greek, it's the word Hades, It's the place of the dead, the place of waiting. Where everyone that died before the resurrection went to. 
In that place of waiting, there was a chasm. Between that was those who believed in God on one side and those that did not believe in Christ on the other. Remember the story of the rich man, Lazarus. They could see each other. They could talk with one another. Lazarus was in what Scripture calls Abraham's bosom. And in Abraham's bosom, there was a protection in that waiting place on that side for the believer. The rich man was an unbeliever. It wasn't because he was rich. It was because he was an unbeliever who rejected Christ. Every person who died before the cross went into that place of waiting. Ephesians 4 tells us that Jesus, when he died, descended into the lowest parts of the earth before he ascended in the resurrection. Jesus, when he gave up the ghost, went to the place of waiting and took the keys from Satan and led all those in the place of waiting, Abraham's bosom, to heaven. Now, Jesus did this in three days while Jesus' body laid in the tomb. And on that resurrection day, what Jesus does, leading all those that were in Abraham's bosom, leading them to heaven, he says to the Old Testament saints, you know what, before we get to heaven, we need, I need to do something, and you're going to go with me. I have to stop by the earth a little bit. I need to tell Mary, Magdalene, I need to tell Mary to tell the disciples to meet me. So on the day Jesus resurrected, he has the Old Testament saints with him. In Matthew 27, have you ever read this? Let's read this. It says, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, who had died, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine that? Now, the miracle that God did for Pastor Dan is nothing compared to what that story is, but it's huge to Pastor Dan and us. And let me just say this to you. Whatever miracle you need, he can do it today. Then Jesus leads them to heaven. An Old Testament text tells us what took place when they went to heaven, and I'm going to show you this. Here's what happened. The Old Testament saints are going into heaven, and they said this in Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. There literally was a proclamation of the believer that went to heaven, and the gates were locked, the gates were shut, because they were put into the waiting place until Jesus took the keys back. The angels who protected heaven then said back to them in verse 8, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And literally those gates opened up and he led Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, and all the Old Testament saints into heaven. Hmm. Then Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. 
making intercession for you and me because he knew you, the believer, would confess him as Lord and Savior. But here's a struggle that sometimes because of life, because of even knowing a call of God upon his life, he still rejected Christ. He still rejected the call Pastor Dan did. Some of you might be here and you know that God has placed his hand upon you and you've rejected Christ. He, he doesn't hate you. He is the God of a second chance. I've heard someone preach and say he's the God of a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Hmm. Everything that needed to be done for us and our salvation is finished. And he holds the keys of Hades and of death. It means that we don't have to fear physical death. It means we don't have to fear spiritual or eternal death because Jesus overcame that as well. The resurrection, Easter, is, is wonderful food, is fun with the children with the eggs, but I tell you, it's a lot bigger than that. It's something we rejoice in. The number one fear of every human being is death, but to, to the believer, we do not have to have that fear. Every other fear in life is related to the fear of death. Let me just explain that to you. How many of you are afraid of snakes? You're not afraid of snakes. You're afraid of them biting you and you dying. How many of you have ever been afraid of heights? Yeah. No. You're afraid of falling and being smashed on the pavement. To put it bluntly. How many of you are afraid of germs? I knew someone that washed his hands every time someone touched him. No, you're afraid of getting sick and dying. But when we truly understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for us, then what we can understand is that our healing is there and we do not have to live in fear. Jesus overcame every fear and holds the keys of Hades. Holding the keys, he doesn't hold the keys to lock us in. You know why? <laughs> we are already locked in in bondage, the bondage of sin. But Jesus holds the keys to let us free. First, Jesus holds the key of death. Second of all, Jesus holds the key of David. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you, because the resurrection means a lot more than those Easter eggs. Revelation 3, 7 says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts. If Jesus opens it, no one can shut it, and shuts and no one can open it. If Jesus shuts it, kicks some demonic behind, it has no authority over you. He said that to that demon, and that demon understood the truth. Many people tell you it's, it's over. Many people tell you that, that uh, the thing that you are facing, the situation that you feel, the emotion, the hurt, and everything, that's the end. That's what's going to be. I'm telling you, what Jesus opens and what Jesus shuts is a done deal. This is a quote from Isaiah 22, which is a story of a bad steward. Remember, a steward is not an owner. 
Isaiah has many messianic prophecies of Jesus. Isaiah 7 says a virgin shall conceive a child. Isaiah 9 says unto us a child is born and is given and the government shall be on, on his shoulders and call him mighty God, prince of peace, all the above. Isaiah 53, he was despised and smitten by God, but by his stripes were healed and he bore our sin. The story in Isaiah 22 it was to remember Adam lost the stewardship of the earth to Satan. The story in Isaiah 22 is there was a bad steward. God then receive, receiving or removing the bad steward and replacing him with a good steward. That's Isaiah 22. The steward's not an owner, but Jesus removes that steward and places a good steward in, in its place. As I read the story in Isaiah 22, I want you to see the analogy of Satan being the bad steward and replacing him with Jesus as the good steward. When Jesus went to the cross, the steward of the keys was, was the enemy because Adam had lost those keys. But here's what I want you to understand, that when Jesus came, he became that good steward of the keys. Isaiah 22 says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go, proceed to the steward, to Shebna, who is over the house, and say, What have you here, and whom have you here, that you have hewn a sepulcher here, as he who hews himself a sepulcher on high, who carves a tomb for himself in a rock? In other words, he's making a tomb because he thinks he's high and mighty. Indeed, the Lord will throw you away violently, O mighty man, and will surely seize you. He will surely turn violently and toss you like a ball into a large country. There you shall die, and there your glorious chariot shall be the shame of your master's house. So I will drive you out of your office from your position. He will pull you down. Verse 20, then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Eliakim means God raises up, and Hilkiah means Jehovah is my portion. Now follow me. Verse 21, I will clothe him with your robe, means your position, and strengthen him with your belt, uh, meaning the provision he carried. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. Now let me explain this. I know some of this is kind of deep. It's kind of doctrinal. But let me just tell you, Easter is fun. Easter is a joy. I love Easter. I love gathering with my church family. I love gathering with my family. But there's something deep that is happening. That there is a God who, who his daily delight, the Father's daily delight is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, everything he does is because you are his daily delight. And he wants you. Look at this, Messianic. Verse 21. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of Judah. And verse 22, found in Revelation 3.7, the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open and no one shall shut and no one shall open. Verse 23. I will fasten him as a peg. The Hebrew means the peg is a nail. I will fasten him as a peg. It's talking about a nail in a secure place, and he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. 
They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and, and the posterity. Talking about the, the one that is literally taking care of good stewardship. All vessels of small quantity from the cuts to all the pitchers. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg, the nail that is fastened in the secure place will be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So here's the story. This guy Shebna is supposed to be stewarding what the owner has. God is still the owner, even though Adam lost the stewardship to Satan. God still owns it. Isaiah approaches Shebna while he is building a tomb for himself in a high place where only royalty builds, and he's not royalty, where Shebna is building a steep cliff, and the tombs are about 60 feet to 300 feet high. When you go to these countries, you will see the old tombs that are, that are uh, hewn into cliffs. Isaiah says, basically, what are you doing? You don't have family here. You always want to be built up and to be seen and impress people. And Isaiah says, you will be cast down to the ground. You will be cast down to the ground. In Isaiah 14, God is talking to Satan. And watch how Satan wants to be lifted up and God will put him down. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Shebner is a prophetic picture of Satan. That's what happened. Satan was defeated. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is victory for Christ, is victory for you and me. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the owner of our life and this earth. So God says, I'm going to hurl you and violently throw you into a distant land. In Revelation 21, God will grab Satan by a limb and hurl him into the lake of fire. The prophetic picture. Isaiah 22, 19. I, so I will drive you out of your office and from your position, he will pull you down. So here's the story of that day. Shebna was making a deal with the king of Assyria to sell the people of Israel into bondage. Listen closely. That is exactly what Satan is doing. Satan is doing everything he can to sell you into bondage, to let you believe a lie, to let you absolutely not believe in the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. If you listen to the enemy, you have a future of bondage. So here's what happened to Shebna in real life. He was demoted from his position because of what Isaiah prophesied. So Shebna rides out, meets the king of Assyria, and lies to him. He says, I was bringing Israel with me, but they were afraid of you, so give me more time. No, Isaiah knew what he's going to do, and Israel found out from Isaiah what he was going to do, so they didn't listen 
to the enemy, Shebna, who is a picture of Satan. So the king of Assyria knew he was lying, and history tells us this. The king of Assyria had them bore holes through, listen to this, through his feet and tied a rope through those holes. Then he tied the other end of the rope to horses and drug him off until he died. Scripture tells us Jesus is coming back on a horse. Satan is in trouble because of the rise of Christ. Satan is in trouble because of the risen Christ and Savior. Isaiah says, I will put the key of David on your shoulder. I will open doors no one can shut. I will shut no one can open. Church, Jesus himself quoted this. And what Jesus is saying, whatever you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, this Easter Sunday, make this the greatest day of your life by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because let me tell you one thing, that Jesus has won. And the only way you have victory is through Christ. Who? Let me explain something else. To us, putting a key on the shoulder is strange because you think of a small little key. So what is this key that the Bible's talking about? Back in these days, the key explained was a master key to the city, was a master key to bottom line the earth. What was there of today? That was about a foot and a half long. So when a guy wore this on his shoulder, it was a strap, but it was about a foot and a half long. And let me tell you what this key would do. Somehow they made this key could open any door in the kingdom. When people saw this person walking down the street, they got out of the way because he was the most powerful man in the kingdom. If this key locked a door, no other key could open the door had some type of thing in the key to where when you go into it, the mechanism, the locking mechanism, no other key made could open it. Hmm. And if the door was open with this key, no other key could lock it. Jesus has this particular key. If Jesus opens and closes the door, no other man can close or open what he did such as your sin, your shame, your past, your bondage, is locked away and removed. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, when you as a believer, 1 John 1, 9, when you mess up and you sin, let me tell you what Jesus, the blood of Jesus does. The blood of Jesus will remove the shame, will remove the things that 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 has happened in your life and the pain that you feel and the hurt that you feel, that blood will remove that. First John 1, 9 is to the believer, not to the unbeliever, that if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and remove it. See, it is a constant thing in my life because I still mess up. I know a lot of you look at me and say, no, nah, pastor, you don't mess up. I still mess up. You know another truth? So do you. Jesus has that key that removes it. Have faith. 
No demon in hell can open it, and the works of Satan have been destroyed. So let me give you some news. The third thing. Jesus has the keys, but Jesus also is the door. John 10 verse 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Isaiah 22, I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. He will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the posterity, all the vessels of small quantity from the cups to all the pitchers. Jesus will be a peg. He will be that large spike driven into a wall. Verse 25, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, the peg that is fastened in the circle Secure place will be removed to be cut down the cross and fall, and the burden that was on it will be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. You can hang any burden you have for your kids, for your business, for your job, for your own life. You can hang all things on Christ. He will deliver you. Oh, hallelujah. You know what it is? The burden of it will be cut off when you believe. One day I will remove him and uh, from me go to earth and die and forever nail your sin to the cross. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what Scripture tells us. That's what Easter is. So when you open up that egg and that Easter egg hunk, hunt, and you, you got the golden egg, it's got $100 in it, Hector. It has $5 in it, whatever it does. Your sin is nailed to the cross, and that burden no longer is on Jesus because he already did the work. We don't have to go back and crucify Christ because what he's done, he rose again, he's in victory, and he never has to go to the cross again. That's the Christ that we serve. Victory has been won because you know what Scripture says? It is finished. Yeah. Hallelujah. Can we close our eyes just for a moment? Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, man, I have heard victory. It's not over. Your life is so secure in Christ. And if you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to ask you that you would just acknowledge me today and just raise your hand and say, today I will receive Christ. If you just go do that very quickly, very quickly. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for your hand there. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else? You're here today, and maybe you have served God, but you have strayed away from the Lord. And today you've seen victory through the song. You've seen victory through the word and the testimony. If you're here today, I want to say to you, it's not over. Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Father, thank you for those who have received today. In Jesus' name, we proclaim victory in their life. As they believe in their heart and confess with their mouth 
that Jesus is Lord. Go ahead, everyone say that. Jesus is Lord. They will be saved. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. If I could have the ushers come forward at this time, we're going to receive of our tithe and our offering. And if you have that hand.